What is the number one thing that you must have in order to please God? Some people think it's ritual. That if you do certain things, if you light certain candles, if you say certain prayers uh, over and over, that uh, you do some ritualistic things, that God's going to be pleased, that, that God's going to say you're at the top of the list, but that's not what the Bible says. Some people think uh, in order to please God, you go through a bunch of rules and regulations. You have a, a set of rules that you do, and you have a set of things that you don't do. And if you do everything on the do list, and you don't do everything on the don't do list, that God says, I'm pleased with you. But that's not what the Bible says. Some people think that, that it's religion, that if you observe certain holy days and, and just do all these religious experiences and, and maybe you do communion and, and you are just a religious enough person that God says, you are at the top of my list. And, and, and that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The one thing that you must have in order to please God is faith. And so then the question becomes, what is faith? Faith is not just wishful thinking. We're going to get a definition of faith today, and then we're going to look at six aspects of faith that we can learn from the Bible. So let's, let's go to the best place, which is Hebrews chapter 11. It's called God's hall of fame or hall of faith. And in here, there's all these people that God says, men and women that God says, these people are the heroes of the faith. They're the ones that did it right. And I want you to follow after them. So let's look very first verse of Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real, even if we don't see it. All right, well, let's unpack what does faith mean. We're going to walk all the way through Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look at different men and women, and we're going to talk about what faith is. Here's the very first aspect that you need to understand about faith. Faith is believing when I don't see it. Faith is visualizing the future in the present. It's seeing in advance. It's being certain. It's knowing something is real even when we do not see it. Now, how many of you have ever said, I'll believe it when I see it? Right? I mean, I understand that. Stanley's from the Missouri state, the show me state. Right? That's their slogan. Show me and we'll believe it. But God says when it comes to spiritual things, that's backwards. Sometimes you must believe first before you see it. And you think about this. This applies to all kinds of areas of life, whether you're an architect building a building, an artist creating a sculpture, an Olympic athlete trying to break a world record, or you're a scientist trying to send someone to the moon. Someone somewhere in the process has to see it in advance before it ever comes into reality. And that's what the Bible is saying, that faith is believing when I don't see it. Now, Warner Von Braun uh, is the father of the space age. He's the guy who helped create the Saturn rockets and, and that, that, the Atlas rockets that helped send man to the moon. Here's what Warner Von Braun said. There has never been anything significant... Sorry. There has never been any significant achievement in human history that, what, that was not accompanied by faith. Scientist who makes... A rocket scientist says... Nothing worth doing in human history has ever been achieved without someone seeing it in advance, believing it before they see it. Now, I got a question for you. How many of you 
We're at New Life Community Church in 2002. Eight years ago. Ah, a couple of you are like, I was there at the beginning. Well, it didn't exist. January 2002, New Life Community Church wasn't on the planet. There was a dream. The last Sunday in January, I resigned from another church here in town. And for five months, Janie and I agonized over what in the world God was calling us to do. We, we believed we were released from the last church. That's why we resigned. But for some reason, God didn't release us from Palestine. And so we prayed and we, we agonized, God, what in the world do you want us to do? And we had this dream. All the way back in 98, we had this dream of this church. But in, in January 2002, nothing was going on. It was all the way in June of 2002 that we just said, oh, okay, we, we're not going anywhere else. My, my across the street neighbor, you know, they were praying for us because they didn't want us to leave because we're, we're good friends with them. And he came out one day and he goes, hey, I heard you just invented your own job. You started a church so you'd have a job. I said, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Now, somebody believed it before they could see it. And now you're sitting in it because eight years ago, who in the world thought we would be in the old skating rink? Other than God, God knew it, but none of us knew it. We just believed that God was going to take care of us. God called us to plant a church. We started a church. We had no idea what God was going to do. But someone saw it. Someone believed it before it came into reality. And now you guys are a part of that. So faith is believing before I see it. But it's the second thing. It's obeying when I don't understand it. Obeying when I don't understand it. Exhibit A, we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 11, is a man named Noah. Ever heard of Noah? Everybody's heard of Noah, right? Now, Hebrews eleven six. can you go back up there and put that up? I didn't warn you about that, Mike. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. All right, remember that part? Now, we're going to look at verse 7. The very next verse is about Noah. Look what it says, Hebrews eleven seven. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. Now, I don't remember. Did I put this on your listening guide, this verse? Is that on your listening guide right there? Circle the word faith and circle the word obeyed and draw a line between them. Because... The Bible is saying those two things go together. Faith and obeying go together. Faith is obeying when I don't understand it. Now, Noah probably had all kinds of questions and doubts because it had never rained. Before the great flood that we read about, it had never rained on the earth. If you go back and you read in Genesis, you'll see that God watered the earth in a different way. The atmosphere was a different type of atmosphere. It may explain why people lived much longer back then because they didn't have the harmful UV rays because their carbon footprint was much less than it is today. <clears throat> but the atmosphere was different. It had never rained before. So God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, build a boat. Now, there were oceans and rivers, so he knew what a boat was. And, and God says, build a boat because I'm going to bring a flood. And, and Noah's like, what's a flood? And, and God says, well, it's like when it rains a lot. And he says, what's rain? And God says, it's like when I take a lake and pour it down on top of you from the sky. And Noah goes, oh, that's a flood. Would you have believed it if you'd never seen it before? Noah, I want you to build a boat 
not out on the ocean, not on the river, in the middle of the desert. I want you to big a, build a honking boat. Not, by the way, the, the ark was bigger than our building. Our building's 180 feet long, 60 feet wide. Put three of these together and, and stick it out to the highway and you've got the ark. Noah, build this big honking boat. And by the way, I'm going to bring two of every animal to you. And then a lake is going to pour down from the sky. Would you have believed him? Don't you think he probably had some doubts about what God was doing? But because Noah had faith, he obeyed even when it didn't make sense. And I just, I I have a question for you today. How many miracles, last week the whole message was how to prepare for a miracle. And if if you missed that, pick up a copy out there. It's on iTunes or you can pick up a copy back there at the back. My question is, how many miracles have you missed in your life because you refused to obey when it didn't make sense? I'm not talking about obeying me. I'm I'm talking about obeying God's word. 95% of everything God wants you to do is in here. You don't need more worship. You don't need more Bible study. You need to obey the things you already know to do. How many miracles have you missed because God told you to do something that didn't make sense and you said no? But, but an even greater question I have for you is not the, the missed experiences in the past. My, my greater question is how many miracles are you going to miss in the future because God says, do this, and you're going to say it doesn't make sense, so I will not do it. You will miss God's blessings. Now, there's an exhibit B in the next verse, Hebrews eleven eight, his name is Abraham. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his, as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Abraham was 75 years old. Dude lived in a tent. Dude was a shepherd. He thinks he's about to have some social security. He's going to retire. And God comes to him and goes, No, dude, you're about to have social insecurity. You're about to go on the the adventure of a lifetime at 75. Do you think Abraham had some questions? And God says, here's what God says, his whole thing. Abraham, go to a land I will show you. Me, I'm going to be going, how long is it going to take to get there, God? And God says, get up and go. Which direction? I'll show you. How am I going to know when I get there? I'll tell you. Okay. You think he had questions? I'm sure he had doubts. Would you do it? Abraham obeyed when he didn't understand it, didn't even know where he was going, and he became the father of a nation called Israel. Heard of them? Many people were blessed. And actually, God told him long before this, he said, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. If you will obey. Faith always involves risking. And some people, they want a guarantee of success before they'll obey God. God tells them to do something in the Bible. Well, God, unless you prove it in advance, God, I'm not going to listen to you. You guarantee it, then I'll do it. Well, God says that doesn't require any faith. I want you to believe me when you don't see it. And I want you to obey when you don't understand it. Because in the New Testament alone, just the New Testament, there are 1,050 commands from God to us. And many of them do not make sense. Many of them are, at the very least, inconvenient. And some of them seem impossible. Let me give you an example. God says when someone hurts you, 
whether it's intentional or not, someone abuses you, someone misuses you, you know what God tells us to do? Forgive them. Is that what you want to do? Oh, no. I want you to hurt if you hurt me. I want you to squirm. Because I'm evil. You are too, aren't you? God says forgive them because the only one you're hurting with bitterness is you. Bitterness is a cancer that eats you from the inside out. And if you want to get on with your life and do what's best for you, you've got to learn to forgive them. That's inconvenient. That's impossible, it seems, God. But he says it's the right thing to do. And if you want the blessing of God, you've got to do it. And, and if you ignore what God tells you to do, he can't bless you. Learn to obey when you don't understand it. If it comes from God, you obey it and God will bless you. But if you ignore it, God says, well, you're on your own. I don't believe that stuff in the Bible. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. I'm going to be my own God. Well, you'll miss all the blessings of God because he is not obligated. I don't care if you are his follower. If you disobey him, God is not obligated to bless you. God blesses obedience. And in fact, he doesn't bless until you obey. Obedience comes first and then comes blessing. So faith is believing when I don't see it, obeying when I don't understand it. Number three, faith is giving when I don't have it. Ah, here we go. We knew this was coming. By the way, if you go back and you look at all of the sermons that I've preached in the last seven and a half years, less than 10% of them have to do with money. So just get over it. Giving and faith go together, and I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm going to show you from, from the hall of faith, the hall of fame. I'm going to show you a guy here in just a second. God uses finances to test our faith. Now, there's really only five ways to use money, right? You spend it. We're good at that, right? You repay debt. You pay taxes. You save. And then you give. And in the United States, I'm willing to bet over 90% of the Christians, the people who claim to follow Christ, that's the five priorities, in that order. I spend it, I repay debt, I pay taxes, I save some, and I give some. Now, we, uh, we're going to offer Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We've offered this twice. There's been about 40 people who have gone through that. And, and if you're interested in that, there's, is there still a place on your card? I don't know if I took that off of there. To check that. Put it on the back. If you're interested in FPU, put it on the back and we'll, we'll let you know when that's going to happen. Now, here's what God says. And it doesn't make sense. God says, invert that. He says, give first. He says, save second. And then he says, to pay taxes, repay debt, and spend it. Those are God's priorities. And, and I'm going to show you. The very first guy mentioned in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the first man mentioned is a man named Abel. And you would think, okay, Abel must have done something incredible to be mentioned first in the Hall of Fame. But there are no significant achievements attached to Abel's name in the whole Bible. You know what he did? He brought an offering. Let's read it. Verse 4. It was faith that made Abel's offering to God a better sacrifice than Cain's. Through his faith, God approved of his giving. Now, three words that are important there, if they're on your listening guide circle, is faith, offering, and giving. Connect them all together. Because the Bible is saying that giving is an act of faith. And it wasn't what he gave that pleased God. It wasn't the amount he gave. 
It was the attitude. God doesn't care about the amount. God cares about your heart. He worries about the attitude by which you give. And you got to understand this. If you don't hear anything else today, understand this. There are two ways to give. Only two. One is you give by faith or you can give by fear. You can give by reason or you can give by revelation. One of those ways you get credit in God's eyes. One of those ways you don't. When I give by reason, here's what I do. I look at my bank account and, I, and my check stubs and I figure out how much I've got and I figure out what can I afford. And I give a reasonable amount based on what I can afford. And that requires zero faith. An atheist can give like that because it requires zero faith in God. Now, to give by revelation, that's when I go to God and I say, God, what do you want me to give? And then by revelation, I trust God. How, God, how much do you want to trust me? Or how much do you want to trust me? God, how much do you want me to trust you? God's trusting me. I'm in trouble or he's in trouble if he's trusting me. That's the kind of giving God blesses. It's giving by faith. In, in May, May 25th of this year, Janie and I will celebrate 25, uh, 25. Golly, I'm just out of control today. 19 years. Go tell her I've, we've been married 25 years. I've only known her 26. Um, we'll be married 19 years. May 25th, 19 years. And we decided before we ever got married, I was, I was real picky about the, the ladies I would date. I wanted somebody who was, who was passionate about God. And, and Janie fit all of those things. And we talked very seriously about you know, what was going to happen in marriage. And we said, well, I said, one of the things that we have to do is we have to tithe. I believe that the Bible teaches 10% of the income. She was like, I'm cool with that. And, and at the time, both of us were very poor. I was a youth minister. She was a college student. She babysat uh, in the nursery, and it was a paid position at her church um, in, in Huntsville. She was at uh, Sam Houston State. And so she, she said, I'm cool with that. And so I got to tell you, for, for 19 years, we have tithe, given 10%. And I said, when we have children, we're going to teach our children to give 10%. Each of our kids has one of these. It's a, it's a giving bank. When they get any amount of money, and, and Caleb and Rachel, they're on a salary. We, when they hit sixth grade, we start putting them on a salary. Some of the things that, that we had bought for them, we give them salary they're responsible for. When they get a salary, whenever they get uh, paid for mowing or babysitting or whatever... 10% goes in the church slot, 10% goes in uh, the saving slot, and then 80% goes in the spending slot. And they get to decide whatever they want to spend that on, that's cool. Now, there's not a lot in here. It's because we went through the Financial Peace University, and we got on Dave Ramsey's envelope system, and so every time we get, you know, we, we get a paycheck, there's certain amounts that go in envelopes. My kids all have Dave Ramsey's envelope system now. And, and there's a savings, there's a church, and there's, there's spending. Rachel has margin. And, and margin is just extra. I need a loan from my daughter because she puts money in margin and she saves it and she'll go to, she'll go to the store and, and, and she'll say, nah, I don't want it. It's not worth it. And she just keeps piling up margin. And I'm like, yes, God, I wish somebody taught me that. Credit cards are evil. I wish I'd have known that way back in the day. And so I want them to be even better than we are. I want them to, to understand from the time they came out of the womb, giving to God requires faith and, and you cannot please God without faith. And some people say, well, God, you give to me and then I'll give. But that's not faith. If you go to God and you say, God, here's, here's what you gave me and, and I thank you for that, that's gratitude. That's not faith. 
That's not the way it works in the Bible. Anybody can give when they've got excess funds flowing over. Anybody can believe when it's sitting there in front of you. Anybody can believe when you're two inches from the finish line. That does not require faith. God says, I want to bless your life, but you've got to trust me first, so we're going to play a little game. And then all through the Bible, did you know that God speaks more about money than he does about faith and prayer and heaven and hell? Why do you think that is? Because he knew we'd struggle with it. And he knew if we weren't careful, we would worship it. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, a farmer plants, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. If you ever feel pressured by me or anyone at this church to give, do not give. God doesn't want that. God is more interested in your heart. So if God tells you to give, that's something you need to to take up with God. If you feel pressured, we're not going to do guilt around here because guilt is not a motivation in Scripture. Conviction by the Holy Spirit is, but not guilt. God says, you can't outgive me. And in Malachi chapter 3, he says, I dare you to try it. Just dare you to try it. It's the only time in the Bible that God says, test me. Just a double dog dare you. Just try it. We've even done this before. I've, I've offered a money back guarantee if you tithe and, and God doesn't bless you. I think Carlene shared that on her uh, testimony that way back in the old building, she took that challenge and she's continuing tithing today because God has blessed her. Number four, faith is persisting when I don't feel like it. Now, would you say that, that our lives are manipulated by our emotions? And uh, those of you who are married, be real careful right here. Because I said our lives, not our wives, manipulate us with our emotions. I didn't say that. You've got to be real, real careful there. M- mature people function based on their commitments, not their emotions. That means immature people function based on emotions. Do you feel like being nice to people all the time? No. Thank you. Do you always feel like talking to people? Some of you are talkative, some of you aren't. My wife is a wallflower. Early in our ministry... We would have these church things. This was way back in Arlington. We'd have these church things. And within two seconds of this church thing, my wife would be gone. And I would notice because I'm always talking and having a big time. And then, you know, about 30 minutes, I'm like, where's Janie? And I would go down to my office and she and another minister's wife were hiding in there because they didn't want to talk to people because they just didn't like talking to people. Do you know, sometimes I don't feel like writing a sermon. <gasps> Sometimes I don't feel like praying and reading my Bible. Sometimes I don't feel like tithing. You know what I do in those times? I do what's right before God. Because feeling, if, if, you, if the only time you do something that's right is when you feel like it, guess what Satan's going to make sure you never feel like? He's going to make sure you never feel like doing anything. If he can dominate you that way. The secret to success is to persist regardless of how I feel. Successful people are ordinary, average individuals 
who do what the average person doesn't feel like doing. That's the definition of success. Hebrews eleven twenty seven says, Faith led Moses. You heard about Big Mo? You ever heard his name? Faith led Moses to leave Egypt without being afraid of the king's anger. Moses didn't give up. By the way, Moses knew he was supposed to be a leader of the Israelites. When he left Egypt, did you know he wandered around in the desert for 40 years? He was a shepherd for 40 years. So he comes from the king's palace, which is the highest thing in Egypt. He's about the number three in command. He goes out to herd sheep. The Egyptians thought that herding sheep was about as, as, as profitable or, or as, as uh, uh, a job like dung collecting. Is that a job you want? Doug Washburn, dung collector. How'd you like that on your card? Moses goes out there for 40 years and hangs out with sheep. And here's how he did it. He didn't give up but continued as if he could actually see the invisible God. The key to persistence is to keep your eyes on God. Some of you today are at the quitting point. You feel like you're ready to give up on your marriage. Or you're ready to give up on school because sometimes it just seems too hard. Or you're ready to give up on your career or that dream or that hope of ever getting married. Or maybe the hope of getting out of your current marriage or whatever it is. Some of you feel like your health situation is hopeless. I'm never going to get better. Some of you think your finances are hopeless. I'm never going to get out of debt. You feel like giving up. And God brought you here today to say, don't give up. The God of everything is interested in you. But he's interested in your faith. He says, keep on believing when you don't see it, obeying when you don't understand it, giving when you don't have it, and keep persisting when you don't feel like it. Keep your eyes on God because if you look at your problems, you're going to be overwhelmed. But if you look at God, your problems shrink compared to his power. Number five, faith is thanking God before I receive it. Love this story. Thanking God before I receive it. Hebrews 11.30 says, It was faith that brought the walls of Jericho tumbling down after the people of Israel had walked around them seven days as God had commanded them. If you go back... uh, in, in the book of Joshua, you find out this great military plan. The, the angel of God shows up to, to Joshua. Joshua's out praying, and, and he says, okay, here's the great military strategy I want you to use. Because the Israelites had come from Egypt. Moses had led them out. Moses disobeyed God. He didn't get to go in the promised land. So now Joshua's the leader. They're in promised land. And they're supposed to take Jericho. Jericho is the most fortified city on the planet. It was considered impenetrable. And the angel of God comes to to Joshua and he says, I want you to walk around the city in silence the first day. And and that, you know, if I'm Joshua, I'm going, that's it? Yep. Second day, walk around the city in silence. Do I need my pen, God? Third day, fourth day, six days, walk around the city in silence. Seventh day. Walk around it seven times. Get the trumpets and the priests out front. Sing praises. Hallelujah to God. Thank God for what he's about to do. Now, if you're on the wall, you're in Jericho. You see all these slaves, ex-slaves coming, marching around. Don't you think they're nuts? What are they doing? I don't know. They're going to attack us. And they walk around. They leave. Stupid Israelites. Don't they know? Walking is not going to knock these walls down. Next day, here they come. Get... Get ready. They walk around and they leave. Stupid Israelites. The seventh day, they start singing. The band is out front. By the way, I think that's a great military strategy. Anytime we have to go to war, I'm putting the band out front. 
I'm going to be at the back with the women and children. The band is out front. <laughs> Seventh day, they start singing and praising God and thanking Him in advance for what it's going to do. And I'm, I'm thinking that the, the people in Jericho, the Jerichoans, they're standing up there going, these people are nuts. And as they get around the seventh time, the Bible says the walls came crashing down all in their place, except for Rahab's place, because Rahab, some people said it was an earthquake. Well, it was an, an incredible earthquake to destroy the whole city, except for Rahab's little hut on the wall. And the people come in and God gets the glory. So faith is thanking God in advance. Now, faith is not believing that God can do something because God can do something whether you believe it or not. Your belief about God does not determine His power. Faith is not believing God will do something. That's hope. Faith is believing that God is doing something around me right now and I don't even know what He's doing, but I'm going to thank Him in advance for what's going on. So you pray like this. You go to God and you say, God, here's a legitimate need, not a greed. God's promised to meet your needs, not your greeds. Here's a legitimate need that I have, God. And then you trust Him and, and the next time you don't keep begging Him like, you know, like your kids do. Can I have this? No. Can I have this? No. Can I have this? No. Until you wear them out. Okay, you can have it. Ungrateful little punk. Not that I've ever said those words. That's not the way God reacts. What you do is you pray and you say, God, here's a legitimate need. And then you, the next time you come, you say, God, I thank you in advance that you're already at work on my behalf. And I thank you, God. And then in God's timing, he answers. Now, here's the key. Number seven. Faith is trusting if I don't get it. Because God hears and answers every prayer you pray. But His answers are sometimes yes, we like those. His answers are sometimes no, we don't like those. His answers are sometimes not yet. You ever told a kid not yet? That's the same as no to a kid. Not yet. What does that mean? And we act just like our children when we go to God and He says not yet. And sometimes God says, I have something better in mind that's not only better for you, in the long run, you're going to like it better as well. Those are all legitimate answers. Yes, no, not yet, I got something better. And the mature person learns to accept God's answer and not pout, not stomp and cry and act like our children who are spoiled brats. Because if God gave you everything you wanted, you'd be jacked up. You'd be a brat, unable for anybody to live with you. Look at the end of Hebrews, the last two verses of the Hall of Fame chapter. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. And here's why. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. The future Christians, Christ followers, part of their inheritance depends on us doing what's right today. There are people in here today who came to Christ because eight years ago, Somebody believed it before they could see it. And five years ago, some of you came to this new church that some people call the cult. Every once in a while, I still hear that we're a cult because we start on Saturday night. That's a cult. They're weird. They're, they have church on Saturday nights. We just started. We didn't know what we were doing. 
and future generations, we're not going to get everything of God's promise in this life. Because God wants us to do some stuff today that lasts beyond us so that other people can come to Christ. And then someday when everybody, the Bible says that when everyone who's going to become a Christian becomes a Christian, then the end of the world will come. The Bible says that God is not slow about His promises as, as we count slowness, but God is patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We have a part in bringing in the kingdom of God. Everybody who's going to be a Christ follower is going to accept Christ, and at that point, the end will come. And then when we're in heaven, when Christ comes, some of us will still be here alive. When Christ comes, we get to meet Him in the clouds. We go and reign with Him. That's when we receive all of our promises. But we will not receive them apart from the others who are supposed to be a part of the kingdom of God. So we're supposed to do right now what God calls us to do. And it's impossible without faith. Living by faith does not exempt you from problems. Some of you are going to have some stuff happen. And you're going to pray and you're going to cry out to God and God's going to say, I'm not going to remove that problem because I'm going to give you the strength to go through that problem because I'm more interested in your holiness than your happiness. Your character is all you can take to heaven with you. So God's not real worried about this body. Praise God. I get a new one when I die. God's worried about your character because you're going to take that with you. And so he lets you go through problems because you come out stronger. You come out mature. If you don't, the problems get harder. (laughs) Anybody in recovery admit that? You don't learn it the first time. It gets harder and harder and harder until finally you give up and say, God, you win and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. So here's here's the thing. How much faith do you have? Which of these areas do you need to work on? There's six of them there. Let me finish with this. God builds your faith in two ways, the Bible says. Number one, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The more you hear the Word of God, the more you read the Word of God, the more you memorize the Word of God, the more you meditate on the Word of God, the more faith you're going to have. That's why we're encouraging you to read through the, the New Testament in the next 30 days. Because that will increase your faith. That's why we're encouraging you to take one of these um, family devotional guides because it will increase your faith. And if we're not doing something that will build you spiritually, we are wasting time. Second way God builds your faith is through trials. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 says, These trials are only to test your faith. And I want you to see how much your faith matters to God. To see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. God's purpose for your life is to make your faith look more like his. He does that through trials, through tribulations, through sacrifice, through service. He rarely does it simply by blessing and giving you everything you want. That, that's bratty children and God's not interested in bratty children. 